you're anything like me, you probably have a blank jersey or two sitting in your closet just waiting for a new name and number to be put on it. Well, good news. Our friends over at Customized Sports have you covered. Customized Sports offers high-quality professional look at your home. With just four simple steps, you can have any player's name on any jersey you want. To get started, visit CustomizeSports.com to find what you need. Thank you to Customized Sports for sponsoring us. Hey guys, welcome to a special edition of the 13th Man Podcast. We have Zach and Dakota from the 55 Podcast covering youth sports in Ontario. How are you guys doing today, Dakota and Zach? It feels weird to be on the other side of this. Usually Zach's doing the intros, but th- thank you guys for having us on. Yeah, this is a weird experience. Being- <laughs> it's uh, it's, it's awesome. a pleasure to have you guys and uh, the average fan. So I just kind of want to get your, your guys' opinion on who should go higher or where they should go, what their abilities and strengths and weaknesses are. Uh, I know Dakota has been vocal about Kayser in a Carlton and Griffin or Giffen in, oh man, where am I blinking? Western, Western, Western. yeah. Western. So we'll kick it off with those two. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll talk more on, on Giffen here and I'll try and keep my school and my, my personal relationship uh, bias aside. Um, I mean, first of all, the O-line is like the number one Canadian talent that anyone's trying to draft. Uh, if you look back in the last couple of years, it, it always goes high other than maybe some defensive line or receivers that are coming out of the NCAA. Um, but his, his stature and size and raw ability can fit in pretty much anywhere. Um, with the right coaches, I don't see why he couldn't. I mean, I mean maybe, maybe he goes back, but I can easily see him uh, staying the first year there. Uh, if you look back on like Zach Brown, uh, I might mean, blank a little bit, but Western puts out the most O-line directly into CFL talent that I've seen from any other U sports school and definitely OUA school. I know Queens likes to call themselves O-line U, but if you just look at the numbers, uh, Western's O-line talent is, is, is crazy high. They have great coaches there. And all that aside, what is he, Zach, you can correct me or you have the stats. He's what, 6'8"? I have him. Yeah, like I'm here at I have him here at six seven three twenty five. But I mean, yeah, I'm like, sure that fluctuates, you know, daily. I mean, that's that's just great clay for any O line coach to mold into whatever guard tackle they kind of want. Um, as for Jack at Carlton, um, I know he was receiving a little bit of calls from the NFL, which I think uh, should have boosted his stock a little bit. Um, and I I kind of compared him a little bit to uh, Fraser Sopek, who's another Western guy. Uh, maybe a little bit of less coverage um, talent than Frazier has. But again, if you want Canadian talent as starters, he could fit in in almost any special teams. If you don't want him to actually play, you know, the the half of the Sam or even a linebacker, you can put him on kickoff, kick return, punt, punt return. He He's a he's a beast that just likes to hit people. And he's got the size and, and stature for any, like he could, he could definitely fit in, if not the first year, definitely the second year. I'll actually, I'll, Sorry, I'll jump in on, on Jack there too. I mean, if you watch any Carlton game from the last, you know, three, four years, the name of the game is find, find 45 on the field and he'll take you right to the ball. That's, that's how it works. He, is, he moves laterally incredibly well for someone out of size, listed at 6'4", 240. And he's incredibly, uh, you know, such a great tackler. And you never see him missing tackles and he hits hard. I I love him. He's an absolute beast. And yeah, he'll probably have more of an impact on specials. He's got the athleticism, but uh, yeah, just a great prospect all around. 
Now I got to ask you guys, cause you were talking so highly of uh, Dylan Giffen a little bit earlier there uh, in the mock draft 1.0 that was put, put out. He was uh, put down as number six to Ottawa. And in the one that just came out about an hour ago, he dropped all the way to the third round 23 overall. Uh, do you know if there's a, a reason why that happened or uh, is this just kind of unexplainable? Um, I, I guess I'll, I can feel this first. Um, as someone who, you know, and this is no insult to anyone who would credit themselves, you know, an expert, I also know that I know nothing. So all those experts out there that are doing the mock drafts, I, you know, have a little bit of faith in them, but they hold such little validity if the GMs aren't putting them out, um, if the coaches aren't putting them out. So, I mean, we haven't spoken to Giffen since when, like uh, three, four days ago, something like that. Um things seem normal unless there's some crazy TMZ video that I haven't seen. I don't know why he would drop down to the third round. Um, and I'm not saying he's going to be the first O lineman that comes out of U sports, but I still have him going in the first round, if not very early in the second, but I think you should see him off the board in the first. And one of the, to me for Giffen, one of the, the perks of playing for that Western juggernaut team they've had over the years is that you have film of him, not just against OUA guys, but, there is film of him battling against guys like, well, you know, Matthew Betts from Laval in those bands, right? And so really, you know, sometimes when you watch guys' tapes, you see a lot of the bottom feeders on the other end of them, and just it's to make them look good. And Giffen always looks good on his tape, but to me it's it's especially impactful when you, you see him going against the Lavals and the Calgary's of the world, knowing that in high stakes um, – high leverage moments in the in the you know U Sports finals, he is performing at his peak abilities against some of the best talent in the in the country. Where do you see them going? Like if you had to pick one team where he would fit the best, where do you think that is? Zach, I'll let you go first. Uh you know, I mean there's a good chance he may get moved inside into the guard position. Um, you know, when you watch him on his tape, he just has the ability to get his hands on guys and maul them, um, which obviously works a lot better if you just have him in that guard and you're just telling him each and every time, this you know, guy in front of you or whatever, just keeping it simple, not having to worry about the mobility. Uh, you know, I don't have too good a read necessarily on what team would be in need of that. But when once again, we talk about a guy with this kind of frame, this kind of talent coming from a school where you know he's got – you know, he's already been coached up well, and he's a really, really good guy. He's receptive to coaching. I know it's a cop-out answer, but he just has – there's no team that wouldn't benefit whether he's going to make an impact right off the jump or whether they're going to try and, you know, have him develop a little bit longer. It's it's The potential is just booming with a, a guy like Giffen. Uh, for the sake of the takes, I'll actually pick a team. Um and I, the, again, the name escapes me, the coach, and you guys might know who the O-line coach at Toronto is, but I know he, he's great with working with guys. Um, I know that their new kind of go-to is the larger size. They're moving away from anyone who's, I think, is under 6'3". Um, and I'm not saying at all he's going to go second overall. That's not. I mean, I, I love the guy, but there's not a chance. But, I mean, they got the ninth pick and the 11th pick, so I think if they get the chance to get their hands on him, he's, he's probably going to go to Toronto. What about a guy like Coulter Woodmansey out of oh, Bluff? What? 
That's Zach's way. I'm, I'm gonna let Zach talk. I'll jump all over the Coulter Woodmansey take. I'm wearing my 2015 Guelph Griffin Zates Cup sweater right here. You know, I missed him by a year. He came in in the 2016 season. Uh, he's from Toronto. Dakota and I both from Toronto as well. He went to my rival high school, and I've kind of had my my finger on the pulse of sort of Coulter from when he was still, uh, you know, in school. Just hearing about this great prospect because I, I, you know, I love hearing about uh, great talented guys in the city. Um, you know, once again, really, as far as the intangible things go, he hits all the marks, um, really coachable, a really um, a student of the game. He understands the, the, you know, the chalkboard stuff as well as any guy out there. And he's really committed to, um, you know, the, the weight room and everything like that. He came in a little heavy when he came to Guelph. I don't have his number in front of me, but he's probably, you know, 6'4", low 300s. He came in around 330. And despite just being an absolute you know beast similar when we talked about Giffen when he gets his hands on guys it's game over um the mobility was lacking a little bit but he committed he lost that weight and he has just become an absolute specimen um he was playing guard that's the position you know you would see him at at the next level for sure um I mean maybe they would try and transition him to center I, I don't really know but I don't know if he's ever had reps there but when you you know you watch him all year long and just an absolute mauler um really just the number of i mean i know dakota calls them fake stat, stats but number of pancakes where you just fake stats they're just they're just made up to make you guys feel better <laughs> hey man we got to get some shine you know um no but i i, I love coulter like i said the, um really great guy really great prospect um and yeah we'll see i don't know if he would stick uh his first year round but um you know he'll get picked up somewhere and uh whatever coach it is they're going to fall in love with him I'm, I'm certain of that okay, so this... go ahead no no you can go if you're going to add something onto that one no I was just going to I know I, I agree obviously I haven't I don't have the connection with, with uh, the Guelph Griffins or anything like that um, but just watching Mio play uh, this year a little bit um, at a couple Guelph games I, I had him going a little bit higher than Giffen if the O-lines were going off the board the way they should in a CFL draft. But again, I mean, I'm, I'm no expert, but I definitely had him going higher than, uh, than Giffen did. So I guess that kind of answers my question, but I'll go back to that mock draft that I was referring to earlier. Uh, Wood Mancy made the jump from 30th overall in the fourth round uh, to going in the number six spot uh, in this one. So do you see Wood Mancy or, or Giffen being drafted higher? I mean, I just I already answered. I'm gonna I'm gonna say Wood Manzi goes higher. Um, in the in that mock draft, did they explain it all these drops, or are they just putting names in places? They just put names and then gave a little bit of a bio underneath. Okay, so I'm gonna start doing I, mock I would assume and there's. <laughs> I would assume there's some sort of method to the madness, but it doesn't seem very, you know, explained. Is this Marshall Ferguson's or is this? Is this this is um yeah Marshall Ferguson's. Okay. I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put that up to quarantine craziness. Um, him being stuck at home alone with his dog. I mean, he posted that video. Um, no disrespect whatsoever. But, I mean, who knows where the mind is at during these times. Yeah, I really don't have a, a sense of what might have changed that. Obviously, this has been one of the strangest drafts with, obviously, what's going on. And we were kind of joking with some of the guys we've talked with recently in our, in our interviews uh, who have been getting ready for the uh, draft, what type of impact – 
not being able to have those meetings in person and obviously having the combine, what type of impact that's going to have on people's draft stock. So it's, it's really hard to tell um, this year, especially more than, more than other years, those, those influences that are going to cause a guy to, to drop a rise. It's, you know, you, we can't just look at the, the combine and say, oh, this guy ran terribly or, oh, this guy, you know, there's stories of him being an absolute nutcase in these meetings. We really have, you know, no tell on a lot of those things. So uh, hard to say. I mean, the, the classic line with, with linemen is you can't teach size. And, you know, Giffen is obviously uh, has, you know, size for, for days, uh, but so does Coulter. I mean, I, I think you can't really miss with him. So switching from O-line to the other side of the line, Cam Lawson and Rishon Davis seem like two of the most consistent D-lines picked in the first two rounds. From everything I've been able to find, they seem like the two players for a D lineman out of Ontario. Can you guys give us any insight on either of them? Cam Lawson's a monster. I mean, that's the general consensus around the league. You talk to coaches, you talk to players, you talk to anyone that watches. He's a monster. Uh, I think he gets a lot of discredit for the fact that he stayed in Canada. Um, I won't name names on, on who's talking about who, but just the fact that uh, I think this goes for almost any position. The fact that, you know, you're in the NCAA, and whether that's unless that's you know a, a power team, you get more credit for the fact that you're in the NCAA than you do for the fact that you're in youth sports. Um, and you know players could be of equal talent, but just the fact that you're down south gives you more credit, and you go up the ranks a little higher. But I think Cam Lawson could do numbers with with any D1 team, and like obviously not you know Power Five, but any you know Ivy League team or D2 team, he would absolutely demolish kids. Yeah, no, uh, Lawson's an absolute animal. Um, just like Dakota said, you know, he can play really anywhere in that inside defensive line. You can line him up over center in the true one tech, in a three tech. He's got the, you know, the handwork to be able to play, um, be able to get off his blocks and stuff like that. And, you know, he's just, he's a, he's a, a great example of someone you might call like a game wrecker or game breaker, where when you watch his tape, you're constantly seeing double teams, which are, you know, not working and you're seeing a running back backing up the double, not working. And as a result, you know, you see, uh, you see guys like Tyler Roy and uh, Anthony Federico defensive ends for Queens getting huge sack numbers just because there's no attention paid to them, or I should say less attention. So he's a monster. Um, you mentioned Rashawn Davis, part of probably one of the most underrated defenses in the OUA from the last you know, however many years with that Ottawa GG's team. Um, you know, another guy we kind of talked about maybe having an impact on specials, really good athlete and, uh, you know, just a really good system player in there. Um, another name I want to throw out when you talk about defensive linemen, though, going early in the out of the OUA, um, people need to be looking out for Sam Achampong out of Laurier. Um, you know, we talk about different schools kind of being the, you know, Western being like O-line U or whether it's Queens there is no doubt that Laurier from this past decade is D-line you. You look at some of the talent they put into the CFL, Robbie Smith, uh, Trayvon James getting picked up, obviously a guy like Kwaku Boateng, uh, Essay a few years ago, um, you know, absolute beast, really good hands, and, um, you know, an, an athlete who once again can play, he's strong enough to play inside, but probably more natural in that three-tech spot, um, working in space a bit more. 
Um, but yeah, I would throw his name in as well. But whether it's Rashawn, Cam, or, or Sam, I mean, Lawson is probably the, the head of the pack in, in those names. But uh, yeah, some just absolute ballers. So here's a question, and it might be looked at in the wrong way, and it's not supposed to be. Would you consider Cam Lawson better than Neville Gallimore? If you were to look just straight up, like if if Gallimore went to a, can, a Canadian school, skill for skill, pound for pound, who do you think is better, or are they just you can't compare the two? Well, I think one component in that is obviously the development you're gonna get in the states is, you know, as much as. I, you know, I played at Guelph and, you know, these programs are getting better and better each year. The amount invested into the program really isn't going to compare. So there, there is that component to it as well, where, you know, maybe if they, if you truly did flip roles with them, having Cam spend his time down South and, and Neville up here, how they would have looked, um, you know, so, so it, it's hard to say, you know, who's truly number one. I mean, Dakota mentioned some of that perhaps bias towards the guys that play in the States, which I do think is true. I mean, I, uh, it's tough. I, I want to boost up a guy <laughs> like Cam, obviously playing at Queens, but it, uh, you know, I, another reason why not having the, the, the CFL combine such a shame just be able to see them in those one-on-ones and really get a sense of them. But uh, I don't know, I guess that's, that's my take on it. I mean, if we're, if we're talking true talent, yeah, it's hard to, to really, you know, look at the two films and I don't want to say Canadian ball is different, but it is just the way that, you know, um, you're, you're probably less likely to see the run uh, in Can- Canadian ball than you are to see an American ball. Um, but yeah, I think the, the not having a combine, uh, like a national combine really didn't help his stock in the sense where, you know, he probably going into it and, and Zach, you, you can probably confirm this as well. Cause you got Queens connections and going into it. There were a lot of talks about him signing with an NFL team or at least getting looks from an NFL team. And then I think just not having, you know, that extra bit of national combine film. And then, I mean, I can't, I can't talk any smack about someone that gets drafted in the third round for Dallas. I mean, <laughs> that's not even like a late undrafted signing or like a seventh round pick. Like, you know, that's a, that's a solid draft pick. So um, without that extra little bit of film and that extra little bit of, you know, marketability for himself, maybe the agents didn't get on enough phone calls or anything like that. I, I can't take anything away from Neville. And, and for the listeners, I'm not trying to take anything away from Neville. It was just, I know Cam has been one of the names thrown around a lot the last couple of years and it's just one of those comparisons where, you know, if you do put them in the same situation, would he be looked at higher? And I think it's something that we should be looking at it and not shying away from in conversation. And it should help improve like the school's development when it comes to football. A hundred percent. You were saying something, Frankie? Yeah. So I, uh... You just talked a little bit about Neville. Um, I don't know if you guys would know this, but uh, would you say that the Red Blacks are likely to pick him with that territorial pick? I, I hate, I hate that. I hate the high, the high picks 
for guys that are probably going to stick in the NFL for three or four years. I mean, it's such a risk. Obviously, a name that comes to mind, and again, another bias because Zach and I both played with him, Dewan Smith for Edmonton, I guess it kind of worked out for them um, where they, they put their, their stock in him with a high pick. And then, you know, he went to the Colts and then to Oakland and then Jacksonville or the other way around and then ended up in Edmonton. But it's such a risk for guys that may never be there when, again, there are talented guys in youth sports that will come and play. You know, maybe they'll play two years and then get signed by an NFL team, but they'll at least come put on the uniform. Um, you know, you'll be able to market that player. Uh, you always see later on, I know people get like the rights to players and like Toronto will have the right to Dak Prescott or something like that. And that, it mean, I mean, it means nothing. And while there's real talent, real players that are from the area that you can market, and I think that's a big problem with the CFL in general is they don't market their players. That's a whole other thing. But I mean, they'll probably do it should they i'm not a gm but i would say no so as an extension as an extension okay so as an extension of that then who if you were the gm of the red blacks who would you pick assuming nothing unforeseen happens and nobody that should have already been drafted by then is off the board and we're, we're talking like the number six spot yeah we're talking that territorial spot which will be um number 19 in the second round. Yeah. Oh, that pick. <sighs> I don't know. I'm going to throw this one to just because I'm, I'm not going to – I'm not going to have a good answer at this second. No, I, I, I mean, I don't have I, – I don't have too good a sense for that. I mean, you know, I, I, I can talk to you about some of the other guys I really like coming out of the O, but uh, from that specifically uh, – not vantage point specifically, hard to really say. I mean, if we're talking uh, – I mean, I know he's not from the Ottawa area, but, I mean – we got to throw another guy who spent his, his career playing ball in, in Ottawa, uh, another big man in Jesse Lawson, uh, tackle for Carlton, um, who, you know, once again, another maybe another bit of a, a project uh, where, you know, he's 6'5", like 300 and however many pounds, and, you know, just an absolute monster. You know, he just gets his hands on guys, and it's just game over. Um, they probably want to work him in the inside, but uh, he might actually be gone by the 19th pick at that point. But uh, – yeah, hard to say. Now you guys will know this. What's the the limit on the territory that it falls under? I think Ottawa is Eastern Ontario and Atlantic Canada, as well as I think parts oh, so of Quebec. So it's a big territory. It's not like you know three cities. Yeah. No. And it also like takes like Kingston and that area too. Like it's it's a big territory. Um. Fuck, I don't know. For marketability, let's let's just let's grab a let's grab a cue. Let's grab Nathan. Why not? I mean, like your draft picks don't don't necessarily stay that much, and there's a lot of a lot of validity in in unsigned people, and you're going to bring a lot of American guys in there. So, why not have you know that that QB that has put up numbers in the states has shown that the quarterback Canadian quarterbacks can be you know lethal weapons. Bring them up, market them for the Canadian league. Unfortunately, he'll probably never play because CFL hates Canadian quarterbacks. But, I mean, that's someone you can kind of market around. Yeah, I agree. So, looking at this mock draft, Caden Johnson out of New York, being the first running back off the board, the last pick of the third round. You know, what, what would he bring to a team? 
Zach, you say cockiness, right? Sorry? <laughs> I said you say cockiness, wouldn't you? For for Jaden? Or Kane Johnson? Oh, that wasn't him. Never mind. That's no, it. no, you're thinking a different different York running back. Oh my gosh. I mean, we've talked we were talking to some guys from York and we were speaking with you know, uh, I don't know if this is a name drop, but we were speaking with Alex Daly, another prospect in this draft at receiver uh, from York, who absolute monster athletically himself, and he just speaks of of uh, of Caden in just such glowing terms in terms of his athleticism, uh, and another guy who probably took a hit from not having getting the combine because he is I don't know his physical stats in front of me, but he's a big dude and runs. You know, he has elite track speed, um, absolute beast. So, I mean, he's definitely someone where, you know, once again, trying try to look at that kind of peak potential in terms of things you can't necessarily coach. He is, uh, oof, he is something Six, else. Six, three, 220. There you go. And apparently, um, apparently he runs like a fucking horse. Sorry, I don't know if I can swear. Please. <laughs> if we're talking running backs, though, another guy that, um, you know, not as big, but uh, you know, lays a hit as if he were that size is Dion Pellerin out of Waterloo. Um, you know, we did, or, you know, we did a poll on our socials on asking guys around the league who they thought the hardest hitter was. And I, I mean, Dakota, you have a better sense of how the numbers came in, but from what I understand, it wasn't close of guys just saying that he was an absolute horse back there for Waterloo and that juggernaut offense they had. Um, so he, you know, he could be someone, um, that uh, would may, might be a bit of a might be a, yeah might be a bit of a, a later pick than than someone like uh, Johnson, but uh, oh, you just watch those highlights from Waterloo, and he just he's a bowling ball, plain and simple. It's also just kind of it's uh, I, this is a bad excuse, and I've said it before, but it's kind of a crapshoot in the sense where it's for especially for running backs, it's tough to kind of tell how the U sports skill is going to transition. Um, you look at, at Joseph last year for Western or two years ago where um, he, you know, I, with that talent and those numbers he put up, you'd kind of see himself landing on a, on a CFL team. And that's not really the case right now. Um, and other than Harris, Harris is on Winnipeg. I believe you don't see running backs really sticking around on teams for more than we'll say three or four years uh, before getting rotated. I mean, James Wilder Jr. Is a, athletic monster and he's been bouncing around and it's it's kind of a tough thing in the cfl where if you have someone and Caden johnson with that size and that stature you know he could have a great breakout year and an nfl team could just scoop and pick him up so i don't know if cfl teams are wary about that at all where they kind of try and find you know that not amazing talent but someone who's going to be great for their team and stay around for the team for a long time so i mean he's probably the best you sports running back in the class. But I mean, again, another he did there's another disservice to him by not having that that national combine. But it actually might help a, a CFL team because an NFL team's probably not going to pick him up now. So would you guys say that in this draft it's it's could be more beneficial to draft offensive linemen as opposed to some more skill guys, especially without that combine happening? Or do you think it's uh, everybody's kind of on an even playing field here? I mean, it, it's been heralded as being an incredibly deep draft, like sort of regardless, regardless, uh, regardless of position. Um, offensive line, as Dakota already alluded to, is generally usually the safe bet in, in as far as bringing in national guys. You know, another guy that um, I know me and Dakota both uh, uh, really like, uh, Jacob Zott, Adam McMaster, 
a guy that we got to sit down with on the tour and uh, really just, um, you know, really great prospect as well. Um, and so I, I think when you just look at the, the talent at offensive line and even defensive line and the history of the CFL as well at picking those guys towards the top of the top of the draft, it'll probably stay on par, so to speak with, with what, uh, with what history's shown us. But um, it's just, it's such, it's so great looking at some of the skill positions that are in this draft and, you know, it's, it's somewhat wishful thinking at times with the skill position guys that, you know, they're going to translate to the game, to the CFL game with the same kind of production um, that they had at the, the college level. But, um, you know, it, it's just such a deep draft regardless that, um, you know, it'll be fun to see where guys land. But I think, I think the linemen will still end up at the top of the heap. Yeah, I definitely read the last year, I think it was 50% of the first round was O-linemen. Uh, the year before that, I think it was seven guys or something like that. Um, so I, I see it kind of staying the same, especially with the, the ratio rule being in play. It's easiest to put giant farm boys in in the trenches and uh, keep them there as opposed to, to running a risk of trying to have this all-star receiver. But if we're talking skills positions, um, you know, guys that aren't being talked about enough, uh, Rice and John from SFU, I think – he's an absolute monster. If he doesn't stay, I think it was New York that picked him up. If he doesn't stay in New York, I think he should, you know, not first round. I, in the CFL, I'd stay away from skill in the first round. Um, but, you know, mid second to early third. So we've seen an increase in defensive backs being Canadian. I think one player that I've seen a lot of talk of has been Noah Hallett out of McMaster. What about his game sticks out uh, among the rest? He punches people in the mouth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Oh, my <laughs> God. He, I, he, you know, I, I know this, uh, you know, analogy is is probably overused with uh, the type of player he is, but he's, he's, a, he's a missile. You know, I, he's, he's someone where yeah, I would love to be able to watch. I'd love to watch film with him and just understand what he's thinking each play because he, he'll line up in all sorts of different positions all over the defensive secondary. And, you know, as a former offensive lineman, uh, if, if you can believe it, some 60, 70 pounds ago, I obviously don't know the position as well, but when you just see where he starts pre-snap to where he ends up, I just, it blows my mind to think that he just makes these plays. He has just some type of, I don't know if it's a, if it's an instinct, obviously his brother, um, um, Oh my goodness, I'm spacing on it. His, his brother's name who played at U of T and is now on on Edmonton, I believe. Um, you know, similar player, just really athletic, really, uh, you know, a nice mean streak to him, as Dakota said. He, he, he looks like the type of player who, who, like, who really hurts to play up against. It looks like when he hits you, you feel it for the next couple of days. Um, I could see him having a, a great impact on specials, just being a gunner. Just you tell this guy, go get the ball. He's going to go get whoever has the ball. Absolute, absolute uh, great prospect. I think, I think if he was on any other team, uh, he'd probably get even more praise. It's just that McMaster's defense is – you talk about their front seven a lot, but their secondary is, is amazing as well. Um, you know, they got Hallett, they got uh, Putt, uh, Josh Cumber, the uh, second year now, who four interceptions and one in the eights cup. Um, so – yeah, I think he's a phenomenal talent, and I just think he'd be even higher if he was on a team with, with less talent. 
you know, kind of not to say it waters it down, but you, you don't see it as amazing as he is because everyone around him is also that good or close to. Where do you think he lines up in the CFL? Is it like a weak side DB? Is he safety? Where do you guys see him lining up? Weeks, weeks that backside DB is, especially in the CFL, is, is the toughest spot. Um, I mean, maybe, maybe one day, and definitely not first year. Um, I mean, they, they may, wherever he lands, I, I can't say how the coach kind of wants to put him, but, you know, he may, you know, rotate at safety a little bit. We saw that with um, Josh Woodman that came out of Western. He went to uh, BC and then Edmonton or Edmonton and then BC. Um, and then, uh, Tunde Adelaki, uh, he is a, he was a DB at Carlton. And then, uh, when he's at Calgary, they lined him up at safety. And then obviously when, uh, Josh Bell moved to be the defensive back coach, he kind of got a starting position and now he's over in Hamilton as well. So I think if he's going, if he's not going to play, you know, a true corner, you could probably see him up there at, at safety, but I wouldn't see him at, at weak side DB, at least not in his first year. That's a, that's a tough spot to fill. Put him somewhere any- where he can hit people. That's it. <laughs> Specials. Yeah. Is there anyone else that you guys haven't mentioned that uh, fans should know about and, uh, you know, that might be a little bit of a sleeper pick? Well, gotta, give me a second. I got to think about my bias. So I got to. <laughs> um, well, you know, two, uh, two guys that uh, at the receiver position um, that are probably going to get some looks. Um, Tyler Ternowski out of Waterloo. Um, not someone that people don't know about because he's set a whole mess of records for U sports at the receiver position. Um, but him and as well, a guy like Kean Schaefer Baker out of Guelph, who yes. didn't have the numbers of a guy like Turnowski. And a lot of that I think comes down to just the differences on offense. Um, that's a great thought experiment to imagine flipping their careers and having Kean play his career um in that Waterloo offense and then have Turnowski on Guelph. And that's not me taking anything away from Tyler because I think he just has the natural abilities. Um, He's an incredible route runner, has breakaway speed, and is a tough son of a gun. Like you see him, he gets dirty in the blocks and he he has experience playing in the slot, which is probably where he would wind up. Um, So, I mean, he's he's obviously a a great prospect when you watch the tape, but a guy like Kean is uh, from Guelph, absolute highlight machine, um, big receiver. I think he's, listed at 6'3 or 6'4, over 200 pounds. Uh, the guy where, you know, if the ball is anywhere near him, he's coming down with it. And uh, as well, he, you know, you saw him, ha- you could see him have an impact on specials as well when he was at Guelph. Just a guy where don't trust the numbers for him. Probably, uh, you know, one of the biggest examples of a guy who suffered from not having the combine because people would have been able to see just the raw talent he had. Uh, I mean, he was at East West last year, and I think guys got a good feel for him there. Um, but yeah, just purely based on his numbers at Guelph, probably a bit of an underwhelming pick, just sort of looking on the surface. But uh, yeah, Turnowski and, and Schaefer Baker, um, yeah. Um, this isn't a hot take. I I would have Schaefer Baker higher than Turnowski, um, solely based on size. Um, it's you know other than we'll we'll say you know uh, Banks and Owens come to mind right away. Um, it is this kind of a size game there at, at wide receiver. I, I mean, obviously, Tanesky would be in the, in the slot position, but I think Schaefer Baker has the ability to go on the outside, go on the inside. Um, you know, obviously a little bit less film, just how Waterloo's offenses run. They're, you know, 
very flashy. You know, it's either Ford hurdling people or it's him throwing 70 yard bombs. Um, and, and Guelph struggled over the last couple of years, um, really getting their offense going. But like Zach said, if, you know, nothing to take away from Ternowski, but if Schaefer Baker was in that Waterloo offense, I think we'd be talking about him a lot higher than, than any other kind of skill position. Yeah. So before we wrap it up, what is one thing that you want fans to know about you sports and these athletes and what these programs go through on a year to year basis heading into the draft? Oof. It's a great question. I, I, I'm so used to being the one throwing the questions at people. I'm not used to having to think on my feet like this. Um, you know, I'll, I'll jump in. When you when you look at some of the um, some of the you know financial um, some of the finances that have been backing these programs of the last decade or so, um, you're seeing improved facilities. You're seeing you know top of the line trainers come and work with these kids. You're seeing just all the innovations that we see at other levels of football slowly trickle down to the OUA. It's kind of how it's always going to work and, and you sports across the board where, you know, just as a product of maybe a lack of resources, you know, when the NFL or the CFL or NCAA institutes sort of new things that are going to put them, uh, you know, above board and just make the, take their guys to the next level. It takes a little longer perhaps for those things to come to, to you sports, like I said, just because of resources, but those things are happening now. And, uh, you know, I, I think it'll it, it's growing. We're seeing more guys getting those NFL looks. We're seeing more guys, obviously, sticking in the CFL. And obviously, we can really we speak best on the OUA. When you watch the the OUA, when you watch these guys play, it is it's it's so entertaining right now. The it's 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 rare that you know you still have teams that are sort of at the top of the heap, and and some teams that are still trying to get into the groove. But there is just such a wealth of talent across the league right now, and across the country uh, in in all the conferences that uh, you know it's 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 just it's it's a pleasure to see how far this game has grown, even in the you know five years since I've left. So I mean. I think just for for on name brand alone, sometimes people might sleep on the talent as you know Dakota and we've we've kind of mentioned a bit with some of these guys. But you know, just just watch the film, watch these games. I mean, it's 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 remarkable just the the talent that's there. You just have to look for it. Uh, just to to bounce off that, I would say U Sports does a lot more with a lot less. Um, obviously, you know, I'd say the bottom of each roster in U sports is probably a lot worse than the bottom of each roster at NCAA. But I mean, the, the tops and the tops are very close and competitive, at least for Canadian talent. Um, and you want to, you know, look at Western team that has regularly put at least three to four people in drafts. I think in 2015, or it was like my last year at Western, we put seven guys in the draft, which is crazy. Um, and I don't know if you guys have ever visited Western and I, I love them to death, but the facility is God awful. I mean, the strength and conditioning coach uh, is amazing and the programs they run are amazing, but the equipment there is trash. So if, if you put an NCAA facility at Western, we're, we're talking guys going to the NFL, like we're talking CFL being drafted um, or sorry, U sports being drafted into the NFL. Um, I think it's just the NCAA is more polished and U sports as a whole. And we've talked about the OUA. It needs to be more polished. We need to put more money into the program and obviously other sports as well. We'll focus on football, but more money in the program, you're going to get kids 
wanting to stay home, wanting to put money back into the economy, wanting to go to Canadian schools, wanting to represent, you know, their home country. And we're just, we're just not there yet. So I think it's a matter of production and funding and you'll see a lot more talent coming out of Canada because the talent's there. It's just, we just don't have the, the right facilities. Queens is, and as, as much as it pains me to say this, uh, Queens has a great facility. Uh, Guelph has a great facility. Um, we just need to see more, uh, more of it across the league. There's too much like Queens and Guelph are great. Western is trash. Laurier, they don't have even a varsity gym. They work out of the regular rec center. Um, it just, we need to see better facilities across these sports. So I guess kind of a two-parter then, uh, do you think the Vanier cup and the gray cup are going to go back to being on the same weekend in the same place? And if that does happen, do you think that's going to help, uh, a grow the game and B uh, put some more money in the pockets of you sports teams? I'm going to take this for a sec. Yeah. I would love that. I would love nothing more than to have that. Um, in fact, I went to Grey Cup. It was Saskatchewan versus, for some reason, I think it was Winnipeg. It was way, way, way back when, the 96th Grey Cup uh, in Toronto, back when it was at the Rogers Center. Um, and, like, you just got a ticket to the Vanier Cup with, with, your, with your purchase, and you could go and you could, you could watch it. And, like, I didn't know anything about you sports at the time I was a, a, a little kid and I think that's definitely helpful I mean obviously CFL is struggling a lot with uh I mean things aside right now them asking for that 150 million dollars but I mean they're they're struggling a lot right now and it's because the kids don't care about it I mean and it, that's that's the issue we I don't know what it's like there in Ottawa but I mean the Toronto fans are all 50 plus guys that are like why why don't kids care about them because like, you don't market it to kids you're not marketing it to kids so if you show you know if you have it so maybe they have family in the vanya and then they'll go to the great cup and they'll start liking it more but i think it would be the best if you could put them back to back i, I think that's probably the best you probably save money production wise anyway i'll i'll jump i'll piggyback on that point um and, and firstly, I, I think I might have been at that Vanier Cup you were referring to way back. I think it was St. Mary's, Saskatchewan. The, I, I was at that game too. So uh, you know, shout out to you know, way back, the way back machine. Um, <laughs> I would go one step further. I would say add on, um, at least in Ontario, you know, we have the, uh, I think it's still referred to as like the offs of bowl games with all the high schools. Set that up so it's on the Friday. Then you have Saturday with the Vanier. And then you have Sunday with finishing with the Grey Cup. I mean, it was what, 2012? was for the hundredth when it was the, when it was in Toronto and they had the, they had the Vanier and, and the great cup. And, you know, I went to that Vanier, uh, you know, with my pops and it was a great time. And they had, you know, front street was all kind of shut down. It was this whole great cup celebration, which, um, you know, you really don't see that in Toronto as far as CFL attention all that much. So that was great to see. So I, you know, the potential is there. And as Dakota alluded to, it might actually save you some trouble of just allocating all the things into one area um, you know, it's, it, 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 and, and having that added environment just makes for a better product. You know, when you watch the Panda game each year, they've been good games, thankfully, but just having a clean, good product and having it look sharp with fans in the stadiums just makes it look better. And so I think that when you add in that aspect of, you know, whether it's people buy, you buy a great cup ticket and you get to go to the Vanier, get those people in the seats and it's going to, it's going to look better. It's going to draw more people watching it. And it's just going to, I think it's going to create a snowball effect, just further creating, you know, you're just further generating more interest towards the league. And I think just, it'll, it'll just keep growing from there. 
Like, and I think sorry, sorry, just one more thing. NFL isn't a better game; it's a better entertainment product, and that's all. That's all it really is. People say, "Oh, they love the NFL." CFL's shitty football. I mean, go to go to it. Watch. Go to go to a game. Watch it. Don't get distracted by the fucking sorry again t-shirt cannons <laughs> or you know the cheerleaders or anything. Watch the football. Watch whistle to whistle and tell me that it's actually a better game. It's not a better game. It's a better product. It's better marketed. It's better. It's more entertaining. Yes, it's not a better game. So if you if you're really a football fan, and this isn't to sound snobby, but if you're really a football fan, you know that you know Canadian football is up there. It's just it's different. It's it's but it's not a worse. It's not a, you know inferior game. It's not a farm league that just goes to the NFL. NFL is just better marketed, and that's it. And that's what ownership needs to know if they want to keep football in Canada, which I don't know if they do, but if they do, they just need to polish it up and market it better. And that's, that becomes very obvious when uh, it for the U sports final eight, uh, the basketball tournament in Ottawa this year, it was marketed very well. Uh, you saw advertisements for it at every 67s game at every concert, whatever was being hosted. And I believe for the finals, there was around five and a half thousand people there. So, you know, they, they did pretty well for themselves and it was good basketball on top of that. And that, sorry, that's, that's one other thing about U sports. Um, Carlton goes down to the States all the time and smacks NCAA teams. Duke's afraid. Yeah. Yeah. Duke, yeah. Duke is scared. I mean, there's, there's nothing about, Oh, you know, Americans are just inherently better. Like, yeah, obviously, I mean, football's their sport and it's not our number one sport. And I would never want to line up against a DB from Texas. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, we have talent and the, the disparity between us is, is it's not that big. I mean, we can go and, and ball with the rest of them, not me personally, but, um, and I mean, that shows we have Canadian basketball players that go down to the States regularly and wipe the floors with some NCAA teams. And they're like, Oh, we weren't trying or shut up, shut up. You lost, you lost, take, hold the, hold the L, take it. And yeah, I think, I think they, they do a great job at U sports marketing basketball. Um, I mean, I think even hockey's marketed pretty well for the fact that, um, it's really just a bunch of, you know, OHL guys. I think it's marketed very, very well. It's just football for some reason. It's just not. Yeah. And I mean, the, the Red Blacks have done a really good job at marketing towards the like 20 year olds Like the university students have on the South side, they have just basically party all game. Very rarely do you find people in their seats. Um, it's a great atmosphere and I think ownerships across the league can learn a lot from what Ottawa and Calgary and Edmonton there's some teams that have done it really well and they could be taken and used across the league even I think the, sorry I think BC even going to this year hopefully it still stands was it was kids under 17 get in free for the home opener and then it's like 10 or 15 dollars for kids under 17 for the rest of the year and yeah, all I saw was, was all I saw was old people complaining like you're not going to make any money. I'm like uh, you're going to get these kids making memories, and then being an adult with money, spending it. I'm like 17 year olds don't have money to spend. When I was 17, I had money was helping out the family. I didn't have money to spend on these things. So you make it cheaper for the kids. They'll come and they'll stay. It's a matter of getting people into the seats and then let the football get them to stay in the seats. And that's that's exactly it. Like I'm. I'm a huge 67s fan for the OHL. And the only reason that happened is because I went to games when I was so young. Uh, the CFL was kind of an acquired taste because we only got our team in 2014. But, you know, the younger you are, you can get them in there and they're going to keep coming back as long as your product is entertaining, which the CFL does a very good job of being entertaining. 
Yeah, and, and I mean, I don't know if you guys, how much you guys watch YouTube, but uh, Donald De La Haye, I think that's his name, when he yeah. got signed to the Argos, um, I took some of my kids to the game and I was like, oh, you guys can, you know, meet some players. I'm like, oh, we're going to meet Daystorm? We're going to meet, we're going to meet this, the YouTube guy? I'm like, well, no, let's meet a guy who's actually going to be here. I think he's on tour, like making YouTube videos, but I mean, they're bringing in names that are going to bring in these kids. So market the talent you have here, market this, these Canadian talents. Because I mean, there's great Canadian players that are better than, and no offense to, to Donald, that are better than him. It's just about marketing the players. In, in football, it's tough because you know you wear the helmet 90% of the game. You don't actually get to see the face. I think the NFL's done a great job at marketing their players as much as they hate it. I mean, Antonio Brown, as much as everyone hates all that stuff, people talk about him for how long? For five, six, seven months. I mean, let's have some positive version of that in the CFL. I find it funny too because every other major sports league has had one of these video game tournaments going on right now and the CFL hasn't done it. I know there's no specific CFL game, but even if you got, you know, a bunch of players together to play tournaments of like Mario games, Mario Kart, <laughs> Madden, you know, you have them play some kind of game, I think you'd get some fan interaction. And I think well, that would be a great thing too. I don't know 100%. if it still exists, but they had some kind of a CFL game for uh, so you could get on like your phone. That so yes, by all by all accounts, it was bad. But I remember just like binge playing it for a day straight because it was just the coolest thing to finally have like some type of a game where it was CFL logos, CFL players. I'm just you know it, it it was as small as it was, as bad as it was, it was still so great to finally just get some kind of a CFL connection into that world. I'm going to expose myself here. Um, so I was a huge, huge Argos fan growing up. Um, I bought season tickets for, I think, six years just because I worked. And I bought season tickets. And, you know, from that, I met players and got opportunities to play and coach and, I mean, go, go stamps. Um, but I remember, I think it was Madden 2003, I printed out the entire Argonauts roster and I created every single player. And I made, I got, we're talking height, we're talking size, we're talking where they're from birthdays I made the team and I played with them and it was great and it's just shitty that we don't have an actual game like that I know that's a huge discussion and I think I think there is a CFL version on like all pro football 2013 or something like that but yeah I mean I think there should be a game and I also think that if yeah let's get some CFL guys on Twitch playing who cares Mario Party I'll, I'll watch you know there'll, there'll be kids I'll watch them playing you know Warzone. Why not have CFL guys playing Warzone? We got NFL guys doing that. Like I'm sure, get to know the players, and then you know you feel like you have this personal connection, and you're gonna go want to go watch them play. There's some outstanding personalities. Like I would watch Sherrod Baltimore play the story mode of any game because he's Sherrod <laughs> Baltimore, but people don't know that. So I don't know the marketing. Shane and I have gone on and on about the marketing in the first couple episodes of this, but uh, they've got to do something. Man, I mean, there's, there's lots of kids I'm sure would watch Nate Bahar talk yeah. while playing a video game. Oh my I mean, god, he, yeah. He, you know, he's a he's a he's a boisterous guy. Uh, I know there's a little bit of personal connection there from back in London, but I mean, there are personalities in the league, and not in a negative sense. And there needs to be a little light shone on that. Yeah, I'm really hoping that they can turn it around, and Ambrosi can make something out of nothing. And let's hope the East Coast gets a team. That would be a start. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I really want the East Coast to get a team. It would it would suck for any BC versus East Coast game for the players, but uh, I mean, it would be it'd be fun. I'm sure that you get some fans out there. 
you would have to kick off the season with rivalry, like a rivalry week, right? That would make the most sense. Yeah. And then have BC and Atlanta, Canada play each other. I think that'd be the best thing. I think that'd be the great weekend. Yeah. I mean, if you, yeah. It, and then that's the thing. I think the smaller towns actually benefit a lot more from CFL teams. I think it really goes to show Toronto does not care about the Argos. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you guys follow any CFL players, but Nakis uh, was talking about that yesterday. It's like, why don't people care about the CFL? Um, and I think it's really just Toronto. I mean, we got, we got the Leafs, we got the Blue Jays, we got the Raptors, we got TFC. And, you know, as much as the Blue Jays and the Leafs struggle, you know, people are still going to go. Um, but then you look at Saskatchewan, and I wish – I would want to go watch a game there so badly, except for the fact that I'll have to be in Saskatchewan outside of the game. Um, and that's no offense there, but I just know it's not as, as lively as Toronto is. Um, but, I mean, they, they have a Mosaic Stadium or the new Mosaic Stadium or whatever it is. Sells out. It's huge. It's, it's you know, on par with some NFL stadiums. And I think an East Coast team could easily do stuff like that. They just have to, you know, have that connection. And they'll probably have to sell tickets for $5 for the first two seasons. Lose a bit of money, but, you know, if you get the fans. Saskatchewan Rough Fire fans travel the best out of any team ever. I mean, I've been to, like, a Michigan football game and I've seen a Rough Rider jersey. They're everywhere. I believe – if uh, you watch the finals in the NBA or for the NBA last year, there was a Rough Riders jersey sitting courtside. You go to any sporting event in Canada ever, and there's always one guy, that one guy who thinks he needs to wear his Riders jersey everywhere. As much as I hate it, I think it's iconic that they do that. I, I respect that so much, and and it's just like you, it's a staple now. You go to a game, you're like you're, I'm, I'm looking for that. I want to find that first. I want to find that before I can enjoy the rest of the game because there's someone there at that game wearing that jersey. And I'll just say as well, the piece about having the, the, the team come out east, go out east, I should say, I, I think would also have a positive impact. Once again, when we talk about the trickle-down effect because the AUS football has been really has – been, has been weak for the last better part of a decade or so. You know, they still put out talent on the individual level, but just when you go into those national semi-games, they really don't stand a chance regardless of whether it's the team out of Quebec, out of Ontario, or out of um, – out of uh, can west um so i think just once again when as dakota mentioned you build that fandom at a young age by having people get to watch a game watch a local game cheer for people cheer for a team in your town they enjoy the game of football they grow up with it then they want to go to a school they want to stay local they want you know dream of playing for the hometown team and all that um so i think it would just have a, an immense effect in that direction too yeah i mean this is a discussion that will <laughs> until it happens will continue to happen because there's so many benefits from having a team out East. But honestly, this was great guys. Thank you for taking the time out and talking to us about it. Hopefully we'll have a OUA season and a U sports season as well as a CFL CFL season. season. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Hopefully we have football at, at some point this season. Um, but thank you guys again for coming on. It was a pleasure to talk. Uh, and hopefully you guys get things sorted out and more of your uh, tour can get released. <laughs> and we'll just we'll start a Patreon for the, the unedited versions of, uh, of episodes. <laughs> just a, a dollar a month you can hear a player swear and talk shit. <laughs> but thank thank dollar you very much month, for having that's, us. That's like a, cents, a couple cents a day. That's fine. Exactly. Thank you very much for having me.
Are you tired of spending hundreds of dollars to represent your favorite player in your favorite sport? Are you looking for a cheaper alternative while still getting a good quality product? Our friends at Customized Sports are here to help. With a wide selection of jersey kits available for purchase, they have the kit that fits your needs. Looking to make that Red Blacks jersey you have an Arbuckle jersey? Well, now you can. Simply visit CustomizeSports.com to find what you need. Thank you, Customized Sports, for sponsoring us. Thank you, Zach and Dakota, for coming on and talking to us about some of these OUA guys that we'll be seeing in the draft on Thursday. For everyone, thank you for listening, and remember that we will be having a live stream of the draft on YouTube, so stay tuned for that. As well, we'll have our standard episode on Friday. For myself and Frankie, thank you guys for listening. You can follow us on the 13th Man Pod on Twitter and on Instagram, as well as myself, Shane underscore Ryan 97, and Frankie is under 613 Frankie. I hope you guys all have a great one. Stay safe and we will talk to you guys later.